Welcome to the Legend of the Death Race podcast. I'm your host, Tony Matisse, and every week we share legends from past death racers on the courage, power, and wisdom it takes to conquer life's obstacles. All of us death racers aspire to inspire you to create a life past your limits. Today's legend follows the story of death racer David Megida, who competed in two death races. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Dude, super stoked to have you here. It's been a long time since we've been able to connect. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I it's funny. I I I, I haven't thought about death race in like detail in a very long time, so I'm excited um, to get into it and see if I can rehash some some really good terrible memories. And uh, <laughs> and you know I always tell like little bits and pieces of these stories all the time, but I never think about the whole thing in its entirety. And I think uh, some of it may be a little fuzzy, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna find myself catching myself in some some uh, some deep memories. Heck yeah, we're gonna rattle your cage a little bit and see what we can bring out. So. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your occupation and uh, your athletic background. Yes, sir. Um, so I grew up in Maryland and I was a uh, very serious high school athlete. Um, I did four sports every three seasons uh, for all four years of high school. What sports were uh, those? So, <clears throat> so I was... Uh, I was a runner, um, so I ran cross country in the fall, um, and then I wrestled in the winter. And I also I, I got a uh, a special uh, exemption to run track in the winter too. So I, I wrestling was my primary winter sport, but I would just skip the the track practices and just run the meets in the winter. Awesome. Um, and then yeah, it was cool. And then um, I was uh, track in the spring. Um, so I was very focused on running when I was, uh, in, in, uh, high school. And I, I even won a, a conference championship in cross country my senior year before going off to college. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so, so basically I got to college, um, as a very serious, a very serious athlete focused on running cross country and track and I, I gave up wrestling. I was recruited to wrestle in college. I gave that up. And then um, after a very short stint of running in college, I was like, man, I, I'm just so burnt out from doing this since like sixth grade. And I, I ended up quitting the team and thinking I need something. I wanted structure. Um, and I said, man, I love football. I've never played, but I love football. So I tried out for the football team. Uh, this was at Bucknell University. I made the football team, oh, cool. played football for the rest of the year. Um, Found powerlifting for the first time at that point. Um, got massive. Went from like uh, 150 pounds to over 200 pounds by the end of my freshman year. Um, That's quite the change. And th yeah, that was – well, you know, you, you convert the body from running, what, 70, 80, 90, 100 miles to just eating like four times a day, pounding protein shakes and um, powerlifting in the mornings. Uh, I powerlifted five days a week with no running and got massive fast found out my body actually wanted to be my body's natural weight at this height is probably 185 and i was holding myself down in the 150s as a runner so oh, wow uh pretty crazy pretty crazy it's, it's crazy how adaptable the human body is it'll change depending on what you decide to do yeah yeah so i finished uh I ended up transferring. I quit college sports altogether. I just focused on having fun in college, playing a lot of basketball with friends and flag football and, and lifting weights. I was really into that. And then um, I went to graduate school down at the University of Miami. And while I was down there, um, this I saw an ad on Facebook for Spartan Race. And okay. I was like, oh, this looks, this looks fun. So I went out and ran the Spartan race and won my heat and was stoked, got obliterated. I mean, it crushed me. I hadn't been running and uh, for years I hadn't been running. And uh, that the next day I was like, I'm into this. I'm back to running. I started running every day. I ran two marathons that year after that, after not running for like five years. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it totally got me back into running. And, um, and then I started running Spartan races the next year came again. I ran it again. I ran a, a, an event called the superhero scramble. I'm sure you remember yeah. them too. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, yep. Yep. 
And uh, Hobie Call was at that race, and uh, he was the only person who beat me there. And I, he taught, he pulled me aside and was like, "You should focus on this," because I was starting to train for Ironmans. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And he was like, "You'll," he said, "You'll have more, more fun with this." So yeah. I focused on it. I ran a few more races over the course of that year. I ran the Ultra Beast, the first ever, the one in yeah, Killington that was terrible. Were, were, did yeah. you get the Lost Tribe, or did you manage to not get part of that? I did not get lost, um, lucky, lucky. but I did get destroyed. I got destroyed. I mean, I was living in Miami oh, yeah. all year, and then, I, and, then and then totally flat, and then went up to Killington and came out of the gates hot and hit the first hill and just got demolished right out of the gates. And we oh, yeah. and we climbed um, six ski slopes each lap on that course. So we ended yeah. up doing twelve ski slopes in Killington, and it it broke me. But I finished. Those, you know, those, slopes were no, those slopes were no joke either. It was it was up. I remember. <laughs> that was yeah one of the harder years. I mean, it even took uh, it took Cody like three hours and forty minutes or something. I think three three hours something to finish his first lap, which is um, much longer than the laps take now in Killington. Yeah. Now they're like yeah. two hours and something. Um, so much faster. Yeah, so uh, that was crazy. And then I was totally hooked from there. So then it was um, – I did the Ultra Beast before I even ran a Beast. So then I <laughs> went back, did a Beast, finished the trifecta, did all that stuff. Um, really focused on it all winter and then came out the next year like podiuming races and they put, they established the pro team. And I ended up as one of the founding members of the Spartan pro team. Um, I remember that. That was great. The, the, the OG awesome. days, man. When we're talking yeah, now, yeah. we're talking like 20 – for 2013 2012 like 2012 2013 yeah because that was like yeah, when they yeah. first started the, the whole pro team yeah 2012 was the ultra and then in the beginning yeah. of 2013 we established the pro team so exactly. 2013 2014 2015 i was running on the pro team um and i'm actually back on the pro team believe it or not i was on the team last year Congrats. uh it's uh, i took a lot of time off of racing after um Killington in 2014, I, it just shattered me for the third year in a row. And I, I, I went in with expectations thinking like I was a contender for the world championship. And I left humbled for the third year in a row at Killington. And I, uh, it kind of like destroyed me, depressed me. And I needed, uh, I needed, um, to just kind of take a break from it. I think, uh, death race was a, a factor in, in my destruction, uh, at, at world championships too. I think it, it, really took a lot out of me the death race in 2014 and um yeah. we'll get into this but um yeah, yeah we can dive basically into yeah i opened my gym in 2014 it was a lot going on at that time and i took some time away from racing and then uh, started really getting back into it in 2018 and uh, still still nailing a bunch of podiums still still run decently well you know i'm not i, I wouldn't say i'm a contender anymore but i uh i can still bring it from time to time and there you uh, go I've got two fitness studios, Elevate Interval Fitness in Washington, D.C. We've been open since 2014, and we've got a second one open in southwest D.C. starting last summer. And who knows where this will go, but train tons of people to run Spartan races and obstacle races and marathons and all kinds of stuff. And um, it's been a it's been a great experience. And that's when where my life has been focused since 2014. That's awesome. And so if you're in the D.C. area, make sure you go check out Megiddo and get yourself trained up for one of these races, because that's where you got to get it done. So. Um, you know, how old were you, uh, when you, when you first competed in the death race and how old are you now? Well, I'm 33 now. <clears throat> so 2014 was my first death race. That was the year of the Explorer. Yes. Uh, so that's six years ish ago. So I guess 27 ish when, right, when I jumped right. in and, um, I just, it was right before I opened my studio. Um, and it was just something I felt I had to do. Um, I was talking to my good friend, Amelia Boone, and she had always been trying to convince me to do one. <clears throat> and I said, you know what, Amelia? All right, I will do this death race with you, which I've been resistant to for a while. I, will I do remember this. that. I remember because I remember I even was trying to push you to go do it a little bit, too, at that Everybody time. And you was, were still kind of like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Well, you know, because I didn't know how much of a race it really was. And, and right. I like going fast. Um but um, um, I said to Amelia, I said, all right, if you do it with me, like if we do it together, I'll go. So she said, fine. We both, she flies in and I don't even like see her the whole time. Because <laughs> that's um, how the death race goes. <laughs> I was lucky. I was fortunate. I was with um, some other friends that also signed up. 
Um, Dave Mick. I don't yep. know if you know Dave. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. So he, we convinced him to do it, and then uh, his friends, who became my friends, uh, Eric and Maggie, um, and they're Marines, and so we had a good little crew. We all shared a hotel room, and Dave's wife Kelly uh, Westcott, now Kelly Mick, um, she crewed for us. So. Uh, had a really good team and, and good energy around me for my first one and, and didn't know what I was getting myself into, but ended up uh, leaving with uh, mixed mixed feelings of after my first death race. I would say that. I'll have to dive into what those mixed feelings were. So, you know, um, you competed in the 2014 and the 2015 death race. So, you know, you said Amelia convinced you to do this. What was your why for doing it? though? like, why did you end up saying i want to do this um you know part of it was honestly to shut joe up because um joe always talked all this nonsense about how like we're really just like pretty boys who go fast but we can't actually you know like put in the work and do like the really long challenging races and i wanted to show him that like literally there is nothing nothing that any human has ever thrown at me that i couldn't do um i've never quit you know, and so it's just one of those things where I wanted to <clears throat> I wanted to just kind of show him that, like, he was kind of talking nonsense. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. And I'm like, listen, anybody that my stance was anybody can go long. You know, not everybody can go fast, but that's I'm going to go long and I'm going to go fast. So Hell, that's awesome. So, um, you know, what was your training like? Because I'm sure you had to change it up maybe a little bit when you went from just doing the races, the obstacle racing and sprints and supers and beasts to doing death race. Like, what did you do differently to prepare for that? Um, I honestly, um, I spent like, I think I did three rucks to, to kind of prepare myself. Yeah. And that was more like just kind of learning how to move with the pack, being comfortable with the pack. And how much, how much do you think was in your pack? Uh, the first thing that I did, which was a, a large, a pretty big mistake, was I, I just put at the bottom of my bag, I just dropped a 50-pound sandbag into the bottom. Oh, I, yeah. I, that was a mistake because it was all at the bottom. Yeah, uh, not at the top, right? I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, that's, um, I, I learned then, the hard way, too. I threw a rock in my bag the first time, and it was a bad idea. <laughs> that idea. So I ended up doing, usually when I would do my rucks, I'd do 50-pound sandbag at the bottom, and then like two or three pretty heavy rocks. So I was trying to practice with like 80 to 90 pounds in my, in my ruck. And I would just go out for a while or I would wear a, a weight vest. I, I think I did one training run for, um, that I did like 38 miles with a, with a 30 pound weight vest on that I was just trying to get used to just moving with load. Um, and, and that was like a slow run. Everything on that was kind of a run. And mostly I just did the kind of the same thing. You know, I did my, my strength training is like was at the time, very focused on like a lot of stuff on the pull-up bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I else things I think that, and then, um, gradually moved into, um, you know, just, just trying to get comfortable on the rock. I think that's the way to do it. So, you know, you're a pretty confident guy. You, you know your abilities. You know your skill level. And, um, you know, this next question might be difficult to answer, but did you have any fears going into the death race? Fears. Um, just, uh, uh, <clears throat> I think, just more so, I wouldn't say fears. I would say, like, the, you know, worried about the expectations uh, okay. being very high uh for me and just like i wanted to go in there kind of anonymous i was like this is my first one like especially for the first like 24 hours like i don't need to like front run this race i just wanted to you know get out there and 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 like start to feel it out you know it's a lot of unknown so i just didn't want to be that guy who came out of the gates hot and then like exploded in front of everybody and like made a fool of himself yeah, definitely. And with the expectation of this high, it's kind of hard to to go into this race without like a target on your back being on the Spartan Pro team at this point and kind of being a figure in the world. Uh, you definitely, even well, no matter as know, much as you try to be under the, the radar. Yeah. There was no other radar for me at that race. I mean, DeSena was there ruining my life like from the get-go. Uh, right. My first year, um, we were dragging stones up the mountain and... and uh, Basically, um, 
you know, it's like 100, 150 pound rock. I can't remember. It was huge. And I was dragging it and my uh, paracord broke and I was uh, using a uh, I was using a, a furniture mover to get it up there, and then that burnt out the bottom and broke. And then I was just flipping it. I was carrying it or flipping it end over end to get it up to the top of this mountain. And uh, my rock was just so big. I remember just being so ridiculous and hours to get it up here. And I get it, and I go back down to start helping some other people. Mm-hmm. And I put my bag down, and the next thing I know, my bag was gone. And I was like, this oh, is yeah. ridiculous. My pack with all my stuff is gone. And it turns out that DeSena saw me put my bag down, told one of his kids to go hide my bag. And the kid ran like a mile into the woods with my pack and stashed it somewhere. So I was running around frantically while everyone is like moving on and doing other things. And I'm running around trying to find my gear because it's got my water filtration. It's got all my food. It's got everything. I, have, I had nothing. I was right. doomed. Uh, so... Um, I end up um, grabbing one of his kids, and I was like, "Hey, man, I heard a rumor you're moving. You moved my pack. Somebody, a little birdie, told me. I said you're gonna show me where it is, and uh, and he walked me over. I would never would have found this thing down a ravine, underneath a uh, down a tree. It was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but but I I mean I definitely just like from the jump had a target on my back. I between Norm. Uh, and Don Devaney and Joe DeSena, like they they were coming for me the whole time. They tried to break me early. Yeah, absolutely. They had their mission to to try to prove themselves right that uh, pretty boys couldn't do this, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, what was one of the more interesting things that you had to to do at either the 2014 or the 2015 death race? There's so many, so many yeah, things happen in this race. Uh. I would say, um, you know, 2014 was interesting because it was the year of the Explorer. So a lot of what we had to do was just um, in both of these years, it, it was it was physical and yet not physical. Um, like you do something very physical, like, you know, move your rock for five hours and then you do something very not physical. Like, you know, you'd come back from carrying a log 10 miles or you'd carry a log out 10 miles. And then you have to make a cup out of it. You know, you'd have to, as soon as you're done, you come back 10 miles um, and you'd have to sew like a deer hide and put like 140 stitches into a deer hide. That was one of the, that was part that actually almost broke me. Oh yeah. Tell us, tell us us about it. Tell us how did this almost break you? Well, stitching is, is not hard, but um, I, we, we required to pack a needle and thread I didn't really think about what it was for. We also had to pack a deer hide of some kind. Mm-hmm. I, I had a deer hide. The, I didn't, the buckskin, yeah. Yeah, the buckskin. I didn't think far enough ahead to be like, oh, you're going to be stitching this buckskin. So I got these like dinky little tiny needles, thin needles from CVS that I just snagged. It was like, this is my gear kit. Yeah. They would just bend when they hit the deer hide and they would rebend and, and come back into my own fingers. And I stabbed myself probably a hundred, 150 times. I was just bleeding everywhere from my fingertips. Oh, and, uh, and I was, I was just, I had succeeded in completing like three stitches at this point. And I was like, I am screwed. Um, and Maggie Seymour, who was with me mm-hmm. at the time, she loans me one of her needles and it's like a legit, like big, burly, awesome needle. And it's like, oh man, this is like butter. But I'm still not fast at this. And she crushed through all of her stitches, turned around, took my hide from me. We had to do like 140 stitches or something. Yeah, yeah. Did them all for me in like five minutes, and we were off again. And so oh, she man, saved that's awesome. Me. And this is like, you know, and just such a silly little thing. But um, it's it's huge from the standpoint of <clears throat> it. Death race is a lot a lot about teamwork. It's a lot about like people working together and um, keeping building, each other. It's building yeah. It's building those bonds with other people so that way you can get through it. Yeah, exactly. Because I I would have finished that task, but I would have been way far behind. Who knows if I would have missed the time cutoff as a result? Because oh. I was hours behind as a result of these bad needles. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Like you, you finished that task and then, you know, how did you, how did you play catch up? Well, as soon as we finished that task and this is like, mind you, like we're doing these stitches in the complete dark. This is like midnight till like two in the morning. Um, 
Dave Mick, who was uh, who I came to the race with, had smashed his hand under a uh, a rock earlier that day, and his thumb swelled up to this big purple balloon, and he had to go to the hospital. So he dropped out of the race. And um, at this point, <clears throat> it's Maggie just helped me with those stitches. Her friend Eric was still not done, and I was worried about time cutoffs, so I just like said thank you and took off running, which is probably a rude thing to do. Um, but it's a death race and you kind of got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You just kind of got to, um, and they ended up being fine on that part. Um, they, they made the time cut off just fine, but I took off running on, uh, what was, what turned out to be like a scavenger hunt kind of section next, um, wandered, I don't know, 10 miles more out, maybe, maybe seven miles out and was told we got up there. I saw Norm and Norm, uh, says to me, Hey, did you bring your bucket? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, that's too bad because it's 1,500 burpees if you didn't bring your bucket. Oh, uh, so, yeah, the buckets. Of course, that, that was not a written rule. That was just punishment to me. And uh, I was the only person, I'm pretty sure, who did the 1,500 burpees, which was moronic. Um, yeah, there was there – was I just remember when I came into that challenge, there was a whole group of people that were just flopping on the ground, not actually doing burpees and uh, counting as fast as they could. Yeah, while, fake while, counting. Yes, counting while uh, others like myself were like, yeah, I have my bucket. And then we just kind of went and found someone else's bucket and used that. (laughs) I had a collapsible bucket, but they didn't. But Norm didn't count it. It wasn't Ah, a bucket. That wasn't good. Um, Yeah, I guess. So anyway, when you got up there, you had to (laughs) you had to um, they said build an axe using things you find and supplies and chop down a two-inch sapling and drag it back. So, you know, uh, duct tape, paracord, uh, a, I would say, like a, a split fork-like stick and mm-hmm. uh, a, a nice sharp rock that you would wedge in there and, and tape yeah. it all together. And, uh, yeah, I actually did pretty good on that part. Chopped down the, the sapling, dragged it back, started my journey back. Um, and then... When we returned, they said, oh, here's your axe. They said, we want to check the durability of your axe. I don't know if you remember this. I do remember they, this. They took our axes and they put them over a uh, a log and they brought a real axe in and they tried to split it in half. And they said, if they are able to split your axe, it's 300 burpees. And if they weren't able to split your axe, you got to move on. And they actually didn't break my axe on the first chop. And oh, so I nice. thought it was good, but they made me do the burpees anyways. So they split it on the second swing, and that was it. <laughs> uh, it was also a ton of somersaults and crawls. Uh, I believe we had to drag our packs around the entire horse pasture, crawl underneath the fence, and weave mm-hmm. around each post. And your knees are just getting pummeled and raw and uh, it's pretty miserable. It's a pretty miserable experience. Um, and then yeah, a lot like of hundreds, hundreds of rolls, like hundreds of forward rolls and hundreds of backward rolls. I, that was, that was rough. How did, how was your stomach? How was your stomach with that? The, I actually did okay on that. Um, the rolls were only, you know, it was probably only like 40 yards each direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rolls were not that terrible. Um, it beats your body up a little bit over time, but yeah. Um, I did okay in the rolls. The problem is you're rolling through like other people's vomit. So like you smell that smell yeah. and it's it's really horrible because if you throw up, they, they'll they pull you out of the race. They'll say, you know, you, you are, um, it's like a medical DQ. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So anyway, we, we've run a ton, a ton, a ton of miles and then, um, really they're just knocking people out with basically a BS reason, but that's the race is BS. Um, you finish that section. I remember they sent us off to, uh, uh, we had to find a bunch of points on a map. Um, and we did map and compass, uh, basically for this thing. Ah, yes, the and orienteering section. Orienteering. I'd never used a compass before. Well, I'd, ne- I'd used a compass, but I'd never really map and compassed orienteered before. So um, I, I actually, you know, using my usual ingenuity, I found uh, I just would follow people <laughs> so, i mean that's, that's the uh, ticket right <laughs> <laughs> it was a good find ticket. someone who knows uh, a little bit more than you and go their way i spent some time i ended up catching uh amy um uh why um why am i blanking on her name right Live now? Wire. You know, yeah Live wire. yeah amy jacobs now 
That's it. Yeah. So she got married. Um, and she is a crazy fast walker. So she is. She is so fast. Crazy fast. Walking yeah. so fast. Walking like if you're on a treadmill, you'd probably be walking four and a half miles an hour, maybe more. Yeah. Crazy fast. And I, I like never hiked that fast in my life. And I'm a pretty fast walker. But I was just running next to her. So I was like me just jogging and her hiking. And I, I was much more efficient jogging. I had my trekking poles and I was just yeah. hammering it out. And I, I, I felt really good. At this point in the race, I had felt rough earlier. I think um, people forget – there's a lot of times during the race where you feel good and there's a lot of times where you feel rough and everybody has a couple rough patches during the race. But at this point I felt amazing. My shoulders had gotten used to the load of the bag. My traps had been killing me for the first 20 hours. And then, um, and I, you just kind of settle in and this is the, where I was probably the happiest during this race. I started running. I ran a lot of this race. This is where I caught Amy. I, I like dead ran 10 miles of this section and caught a ton of people and even though I went really out of the way on the orienteering and did a ton of it wrong, I had one of the fastest splits through this section and ended up, you know, I had been taking it easy before, but I ended up moving up into like the top, like, I don't know, like 15 people at this point. I felt good. I was like, I'm going to, I was like, I could win this whole thing. That's how good I felt. And then, um, and, uh, I guess what happened next was Amy and I synced up together just to have some good company and chat. And we climbed, we, we checked in after that uh, orienteering, noticed we'd had a massive advantage on the time hack. They were like, you can hang here or you can move to the next section. And this was one of the biggest mistakes I made during this race was I did not hang out. I okay. wanted to rush ahead and, and see if I could, you know, move into contention. Right, and uh, right, right. we've probably gone, I don't know, like 70 miles at this point, maybe more. And we head up a hill. I don't know enough about the the area that that Joe's Mountain is on. We head up some big hill, and we get to I get to a point where all of a sudden I just see a, a large gathering of people. And after they make the most recent group of people who got there move a bunch of gigantic like hundreds and hundreds of pound rocks, I'd say three or four hundred pound rocks, move them around. We had to figure out how to move them from one location to another. So you're like taking sticks, putting them on the ground so that you're, you're rolling the, the mm-hmm. rock over a bunch of logs um, to get it to move, pulling it with, with you know, ropes and stuff. Um, <clears throat> they had to settle into the quiz. And the quiz was uh, ridiculous because the quiz was um, – it was the year of the Explorer, so it was famous explorers and their accomplishments. Yep. And the thing about this quiz was you they stood you stood there in total silence. It was a silent zone, no speaking, no talking, no nothing. And fill out the quiz. You are not allowed to leave this area until you complete every single answer correctly. If you submit the quiz and you have an answer incorrect, you automatically are disqualified from the race. So you basically fill out everything you know, you know, which is like, you know, Ferdinand Magellan first explorer to circumnavigate the globe right like we we know mm-hmm. like some basics but they had some crazy ones on there like who's the second woman to ever summit k2 and you know you're like yeah. i have no idea so it's a it's a matching quiz so you are allowed to ask one question at a time to the taskmaster there in order to earn the right to ask a question you had to hold a yoga pose of their choosing for either five, 10 or 20 minutes, depending on the pose. Right. Right. Terrible. This was horrible, horrible. Cause you're like, you're like on your knees on the gravel and stuff like that. It was really bad. Yeah. It's not like you're doing it on a nice yoga mat. You're, you're on, it's terrible. You're on and you're, terrible, and you're, you know, rough. your body's pretty taxed. Yeah. So that earns you the right to stand in line to wait your turn to ask a question. And the line is getting longer as more people are arriving. So it's taking longer and longer to get through this stuff. Um, when I arrived, it was like 15 of us. When, you know, three hours goes by, now there's, you know, 50 people. And people are still arriving when we're still doing this seven and a half hours later. People yeah. are still arriving. <clears throat> they had heard down at base camp what was going on up there, and people were just hanging out because they did not want to be up in that mess. And it's yep. still – a no talking zone aside from the one question you're allowed to ask and it's a yes or no question so they really killed us and so you could only ask things like is this right and then yeah. they no, and you'd be like oh, okay and you'd have to go figure it out it starts getting very dark starts getting very cold and deb uh cook norm's wife yes yes 
she comes up to me and and she says to me, hey, David, it's getting really cold. Would you like a foil blanket? And I said, no, thank you. And she just covers her mouth. She couldn't believe it. And and I realized like I had just talked in the no talking zone after it was 40 some odd hours into this race. And uh, and I remember like trying to beg with her without talking, like just giving like the little please sign with my hands. And uh, she went and reported me and they DQ'd me on the spot and they DQ'd me. I think either 60 seconds before or after they DQ'd Ella Kasiba. Yeah. And then they DQ'd Amelia. All of us within like a five minute span. And I watched people start just flipping out. Um, one of the reasons I think was because they had taken everyone's bags and dumped them all out into a pile in the middle of this quiz area that we were in so everyone's stuff was all mixed up people lost their medication people lost expensive electronics people lost all kinds of stuff so it was a little bit of chaos i was screaming at the race directors about how oh this is bs like you couldn't get me to quit you knew you couldn't get me to quit these technicalities blah 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 and i was fuming i mean like i had to be like held back i was mad um and i remember just leaving and uh I think Amelia was like, Makita, nobody likes an asshole, I think is what she said to me. So, um, and I remember just, I was mad because I was like, you're the one who convinced me to do this race. But um, it's not even a race. Nobody's racing and nobody dies. Like I was uh, so mad. Um, but we left, peaced yeah. out. Um, my Maggie and Eric literally saw me get DQ'd and they were still in it. And they were like, this is dumb. We're out. And they both just quit on the spot. Uh, yeah. A lot of people quit on the spot and nobody ended up passing this test. We left and I was like, whatever, this is dumb. I'm going home. I'm never coming back. And uh, no one ended up passing the test. And I heard apparently about 30 minutes after we got DQ'd for this, they just let everybody through to the next section. So, yeah, it wasn't uh, too long after that happened. Uh, they kind of, you know, uh, there was another gentleman who ended up losing his shit about the fact that the bags were all dumped because of the medications and everything being mixed up. And it was like, guys, this has become dangerous, like literally dangerous. And now you've put all of these people in like a dangerous position. So they kind of realized uh, their mistake and decided, no one was going to you know pass what? that exam. Like, no one. Yeah. Well, and they knew that no one was. I don't I think they actually the exam didn't even have there's a couple questions on there that there was no right answer. So like no one was going to pass it. It was impassable so they, they were just trying to you know waste time and reset they wanted to get everyone there to reset and then keep the race going and so that's what ended up happening but it was unfortunate because you know they tricked a lot of you guys they would come up to you they'd ask you a question you're sleep deprived you're not thinking and you respond because that's what you do when someone asks you a question and it is a technicality kind of sucked uh it, it, i remember seeing ella and you and and amelia getting knocked out and it it killed me inside to see that happen because i was just like these are athletes that I look up to. They're incredible people and they're out right now. Like how did this just happen for something so stupid? You know? Yeah. Well, that I mean, was, the thing that, the thing that made moment. me mad, I think was, you know, we were there for seven or eight hours and yeah, people was, were driving. We the, yeah. We got there all early. You know, we were there forever. <laughs> yeah. And the other people, you know, were only in this no talking zone for 30 minutes or an hour. So, yeah. Uh, and I, and I remember just being like, why did I put all this effort forth for you guys to stop us? Like, why didn't, why didn't you just have a time cut off and just eliminate all these people that were slow? Right, so, right. Uh, um, that was where I think I was really mad. And, and I spent three or four days at home that, for that, like, that week, just being like, really, I probably even more, maybe a week. I just was really depressed. It just took, you know, the race takes, takes a lot out of you. And, it does. Uh, how'd you overcome all of that? I, I just never got over it i was just mad for like a whole year and i'd be like you know someone would be like are you gonna do death race next year and i'd be like no f those guys <laughs> and then someone would ask me like a week later and i'd be like no f those guys and then somebody said something i can't remember if it was andy or joe or somebody and they were like you lost your focus that was it like they're like you just didn't have it you weren't good enough and i was like this is all right well now i have to go back because <laughs> these people first of all you're all idiots and second of all 
I'm an idiot because I'm going back. Um, and I was like dead set. I was like, no matter what, like not only am I going to finish, I'm going to like obliterate this thing. And uh, so I go back to next year, we go to do death race all over again. And it's the year of life. Yes. And it's a completely different event. It's like they completely flipped it on its head. It's much less physical the second year. It was much more mental. Okay. And it was a lot more just like pure torture stuff than it was actual racing or strength or ingenuity. It was just pure torture. They uh, made us sit in the freezing cold water for, you know, like two hours at one point just, just to just see if they get people to quit. They – um, took our shoes when we came out of that because it was like birth. You were born. Oh, yes. Now your first steps are, are barefoot. Uh, I thought they were going to take our shoes for, you know, like, you know, 20 minutes. They took our shoes for 20 hours. So we were barefoot in the woods, climbing blood route, hiking all the way to Chittenden. That is a brutal, that's a brutal hike to do with the right equipment, but without any shoes. I kill. It's ridiculous. I mean, how you, honestly, how were you, your feet after that? I think my feet were better. Um, really? my, yeah, because they weren't trapped inside like moist, nasty, wet socks for 20 oh, hours. Cool. They were, they were actually out and dry, mostly dry. I mean, you, there were wet spots that you'd walk in, but then your feet would dry again. Yeah. And it was amazing. Cause the first like quarter mile, I remember we're walking down this like gravelly trail and I was like, this is horrible. You're stepping on like acorns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is the worst. I'm not going to make it. This is the worst thing ever. And then you get like 200 meters in 300, 400 meters in. And all of a sudden your feet just adjust and all of a sudden it's fine. And we would hiking up blood route. Everything's good. You're tired. We were all tied together in like groups of 10 people and we're holding balloons and passing balloons back and forth. And they're like, if you lose this balloon, it's like hundreds and hundreds of burpees. So uh, you're just concentrating on that. And um, every time the terrain changes, you feel your feet again. All of a sudden, they're awful again. Hit gravel. It's terrible. You hit um, like rocks. It's terrible. You you go back to like uh, twigs. That's horrible. But then you adjust after five minutes again. Right. So right. I, I believe we went like 30 miles barefoot. It was every like seven or eight miles. They'd be like, hey, guys, like if you want to drop out, now's your chance. You can drop out now. Me- meanwhile, like if you drop out, you still have to walk like seven miles back. So you might as well just keep going. Exactly. But that whittled the race from 300 something people down to like 110 people. Just wow. just the barefoot hike that killed wow. everybody. So I knew and, and I remember in my head, I was just like, they're these guys like I don't care how tough anybody in this races like they're not as tough as me like i'm not like literally i was in my head i was like i know this is a team race but like f everybody like it's just like this is me like i i hate you all until this is over and this is you against the world yeah it's just i was just pure like anger through that whole section and i had a couple people like kind of pull me out of some dark places during it maggie was there again um we 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 led each other i think really well um and patrick mice uh yeah Patrick was what was in our crew. So we had a good crew of people, but yeah, we were like, our dude. goal, our goal was to destroy everybody else. We set a torrential pace on the group hikes. Uh, we really punished people. The legend of the death race podcast is brought to you by trail toes, the best anti-blister anti-chafing cream. There is trail toes prevented me from having any blisters after 66 hours at the 2014 death race and continues to prevent blisters on all my mountain adventures. Get your jar of Trail Toes today. Use the code THELEGEND on trailtoes.com for 10% off your purchase. Can we dive into some of these dark places that you were in and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think I had some kind of weird um, um, blood pressure reaction on the side of the mountain. And okay. uh, we just crested blood root. We were coming down. And I, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, like, my legs just went, like, limp. And I just started like like started passing out out of nowhere. Oh, shit. I was like I was like, this is not from exertion thing. I don't know what this is. But for about 15 minutes, like people kept like like helping like keep me moving and reviving me, like almost and splashing water in my face and like I don't know what happened. Everyone was like, Why is this happening wow. to my body? And I had no answers. Um, and you were you were feeling, you were drinking, you were eating, and it just I just don't know. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. I have no idea what happened. My body went into some kind of weird, like fight or flight. Uh, I, 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 don't know, I was sweating profusely. I was like having a really hard time standing. 
The thing is, these then, races, it's traumatic, right? You're, you're going through a traumatic experience. So, like, it yeah. could be your body just literally having some sort of reaction. Wow. Yeah. My body just thought it was dying or something, I guess. Uh, yeah. 15 minutes later, 100% fine running again. No problem at all. Yeah, so isn't that crazy like, how that happens? Like, yeah. you'll just have, like, you'll be, in one point, you'll just be like, I'm, this is it. It's over. And then the next second, you're, like, feeling just top of your game. Well, that's it. And that's why, like, everybody told me when I when I started racing, they were like, listen, like, when you do these events, like, just if you ever want to quit, don't quit at night. Don't quit when you want to quit, you know, like, just keep going. And so, you know, someone told me, like, if you ever want to quit at night, wait for Bob. Bob is the big orange ball. Yeah. True, man. It's true. Because, like, at night when, like, you're despairing and it's terrible – all you got to do is be like, all right, well, when the sun comes up, if I still want to quit, I'll quit. But as soon as the sun comes up, the sun is like life and you're like, you're fine again. It really is. You know, our body knows that we're supposed to go to sleep at night for the most part. You know, it knows that that's when you're supposed to be asleep. So when you're putting it through this crazy stuff and you're you're exerting yourself all night long, your body starts to go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop, stop, stop. And it's trying everything to make you go to sleep. Um, but the second that sun comes up, it's it's rejuvenating. It's amazing. Yeah, and I actually didn't have like any rough nights. I mean, there were there were not a lot of sections where I really even thought about quitting. In my second death race, um, we had one section I thought about quitting. We had just completed a ton of labor, a ton of stuff where we had had to dive into a leech-filled pond first to retrieve our packs, and a ton of stuff with um, just carrying a lot of logs and doing work there. And I love that stuff, like work. Give me work all day. Yeah. Give me labor all day. They sent us to school. Like they called it school. <laughs> and before school started, <clears throat> we had to pull out a 16 ounce whipped cream that we'd been carrying for the last two days, day and a half. And we had to um, consume it. And mine was cool whip. It was all curdled. 16 ounces, big bucket. Consumed it. Oh. And then school began. And school was okay. You're going to do somersaults across this field. Now, you remember the somersault field from 2014. This field was about four times longer than that. And so it was about 150, 200 meters of somersaults down to the other side. And you got to the other side and they dunked you into this cold pond and they pulled you out and they showed you your first lesson plan, first grade, whatever it was, you had to memorize it. Every letter, every word, every number, whatever it was. And it like, it would be like math and it would be like X plus two equals Y squared. Two ducks live with a frog in the house behind the swimming pool. And like, and then you'd have to go and take that back. You'd somersault all the way back thinking about this thing. And then they'd be like, okay, what, what did it say? And what grade are you? What did it say? And if you got it right, you got to move on to the next grade. Somersault down, or maybe you got lucky. Maybe you got to do cartwheels down instead of somersaults. That was like a huge win if you got to do cartwheels instead of somersaults. <laughs> and um, and they do it again. Dunk you in the water, pull you up, show you a second lesson plan. And um, I remember I made it through f- five grades, and I was trying to get through sixth grade. And um, it was like this crazy equation. I just couldn't. I couldn't get it perfect. And they made me repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And I repeated it like seven or eight times, I think. And I was just like, I'm banging my head against the wall. I'm rolling through all these people's puke. My head is so bruised from doing somersaults. And I, and I'm starting to get really cold because I keep going in and out of this water. And I was like, man, like, I just don't think I can do this. They told us it was going to be 12 grades. And I was like, I'm stuck on sixth grade. (sighs) And all of a sudden I finished sixth grade and they go, congratulations you're done with school and they just released me oh and, isn't that, i mean we're talking we're talking we did this for like eight hours so this was ridiculous um and uh yeah so they release us they send us up to go get a rock so what they do is they weigh you and they say you need to they point to a rock quarry they say find a rock that is one third of your body weight you're going to be and then you go and you they don't tell you what it's for they said if it's less than a third of your body weight then you have to do 300 burpees and pick again. So I went and I found a rock. I weighed in at 180. My rock was like 62 pounds. It was perfect. Perfect. That's nice. That's it was nice. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so my rock, yeah, this is amazing. Um, except that then they go, okay, what you have to do is take this rock, 
and mm-hmm. carry it up across this swamp. It's like chest deep peanut butter mud, waist deep peanut butter mud. And then out of this swamp and up this mountain, it's basically like going up a ski slope, awful, down the other side, back around, and it's called a time trial. And you don't know how many laps you have to do. You don't know <clears throat> how many uh, hours you're going to do it for. You just know they tell you that you have to continue to complete laps as many as you can because you'll have to get a certain amount that has yet to be determined in a certain amount of time that has yet to be determined. And if you don't get that number, you're disqualified. And I'm currently in third place. I had taken off. I had uh, ditched Maggie again uh, because I'm a good friend. And uh, well, we had gone together. We'd finished school together. And yeah. then, um, she had guessed wrong on her rock. It was too light. And she blames me because she asked me if the rock was heavy enough. And I said, oh, yeah, totally. I held it. And I was like, totally heavy enough. And it was like four pounds light. So oh. she had all these burpees. And I was like, I can't wait for you. I'm gone. And I peaced out. All right. First round through this lap, by the way, I'm trying to carry the rock in front of me. I made a, uh, I, I made it about – a hundred yards with my 60 pound rock carrying it before my biceps started burning. And I was like, this is stupid. So I tried to make a sling for the rock to carry it in front of me. And mm-hmm. that was hurting my neck and back. And then I said, okay, my back's, my pack is not graded heavy enough to hold this rock, but like, screw it. It's got to go in the bag. So I put it in the top of the bag. All of a sudden I was lightning again. I had just been passed by two people. I had fallen from third to, f- to fifth place because of this. I moved back up into third position. I'm rocking and rolling. And um, and then I rolled my ankle on the downhill and my my ankle swelled up to about the size of a softball and uphill. I could move just fine. I was great moving, flying. But every step on the downhill, man, I I wanted to cry. I was in that much pain. I was breaking. And and how'd you get through it? How'd you get through that? Just slowly, just just leaning, leaning on your trekking poles on the way down, you know, and then just trying not to put a ton of weight on it on the downhills. But I was running the downhills before and now I'm now I'm slowly moving and I'm getting past on all the downhills at this point. I'm moving slow. And uh, anyway, I, I managed to to start banging out some laps, but I'm struggling and the swelling's getting worse and the rain starts and we do, I believe we did nine or 10 hours in this section carrying this rock. You got your 60 pound pack, you got your 60 pound rock and you're just, you're getting punished. I remember talking to Norm before and I said, well, what's coming up? And he goes, you're not going to like it. It's going to take a real strong person to get through this. He was right. What he didn't mention was we had the biggest rainstorm of the year come through that evening too. And oh, so we're shit. getting driving rain, driving winds. It, this is a storm that knocked out power in DC and just came up the East Coast. It, I mean, this, this was a devastating storm. So you're just getting uh, pummeled. Destroyed. I was like being in a friggin' hurricane in the woods. Um, and I'm, I could not stay warm enough. I had a Gore-Tex jacket on, I was freezing. I pulled two garbage bags on over myself. I was still freezing. Every uphill you overheat, Every downhill, you're freezing again, and this just went on all all night. Finally, they announce you have to complete nine laps to finish this thing, and I'm on my eighth. I'm on my ninth lap, like going into it when that happens. I'm I'm not that far behind the leaders, awesome. and uh, so I I finished my last lap, and I'm like hell yeah, goodbye rock, see you later rock. I ditched the rock, and then uh, I'm like man, I, I think I made it. I think I made it. I'm in this final crew. I'm in the top five, six, seven, eight guys. I'm somewhere in this mix. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay, this next event is called 4,000 Ways to Fuck Up a 10 Miler. Oh, and man. We're running laps around this horse pasture. Uh-huh. And every single uh, corner of the horse pasture has a different exercise. You have to do 25 reps up, 25 push-ups, 25 air squats, 25 sit-ups, 25 burpees. So you run 80 meters, 100 meters, whatever, air squats, 100 meters, burpees. You're doing burpees. It's still driving rain, insanely cold. We're just shaking. And you're doing burpees into like three inches of standing water with sand in it. There's sand getting all up into your oh. clothes. You know, like like they talk about like seals turning into sugar cookies. Yeah. We're turning into sugar cookies. So yeah. 
everything's rubbing, everything's raw. You're bleeding from like all your, you know, your armpits and your, your render hips and everything. It's just awful. And, um, I just remember kind of hitting another wall at this point after, I don't know how many laps I'd completed, uh, of this, but I was just so cold that a bunch of us, the leaders, we just huddled. Josh Fiore was there with me. Um, a few other bodies. We we're just huddled inside this, inside uh one of the check-in tents just mm-hmm. eight of us just sandwiched together like all falling asleep on our feet rocking back and forth pass out wake up you know you're you're you know maybe 60 hours into the race at this point it's still yeah. dark but the sun is going to come up momentarily and we're just trying to survive 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 what they didn't tell us at that moment was your place in the race was not determined by anything other than how many laps you completed of this uh, of this loop. Oh, and, wow. And then for the, they, they finally, they call it and they go, okay, Hey, just a heads up. Uh, top seven people are considered finishers. No one else is considered a finisher. First time I've ever done this. I'm listed as eighth place. Oh, so uh, I know they did this on purpose. I lose my shit again. I flip out apparently. And I learned this afterwards. They then had such a protest from like former finishers and all these other people that they end up saying, listen, if you're still on your feet, you're still moving here. You're still with this group. You're also a finisher. But in order to be a finisher, you have to bury these seven people underground in coffins. It's crazy because now we've gone through all of life, mm-hmm. like from first steps, chores, school, more chores, work, I guess work. Yeah. And everything goes until death. So we bury them. We dig giant holes to bury these coffins and we bury them underground. I remember pleading with somebody that we should not leave them underground for longer than 40 minutes because they were planning on leaving them underground for two hours. And I said, I don't think there's enough air. How am I the person who can think of this? There's not yeah. enough air in here for right. two hours. You'd have, you'll have seven corpses if you, for real, if you do this. Um, and they, they someone Googled it and they were like, oh, wow, he's right. Okay, so... <laughs> So we, we left them under for, I think, like 20 minutes. That's it. But um, And we all waited there patiently. Mm-hmm. They had us in, like, dresses and stuff. or something. I don't remember how that happened. I can't. I think we had, bring, <laughs> we had to bring something. I had a dress. I don't know what. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I just really don't remember. Um, and then we had to dig them all back up and pull them out. And I remember asking everybody afterwards, like, Man, it was a terrible in there, claustrophobic. And every single person had the same answer. I was so asleep. I don't remember anything. I just, just passed out. <laughs> we had the hard job. Right, um, right. So they marked us all as finishers, unofficial finishers is what they said, which is, again, I'm still upset. Um, no skulls. Mm-hmm. First year of no skulls. But right. Yeah, they had no skulls that year. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I accomplished what I wanted to do, which was I finished. Hell yeah, um, you did. Yeah, uh, 67 hours, great event. A long time. Still had enough energy to make it to the general store and pound a cheeseburger and a burrito. Oh, that's and then, awesome. Yeah, it was great, great. And then uh, went back to the hotel, slept for like eight hours, got up at like 9 p.m. or something, and, uh, and went and had dinner, and then went back to bed for like another eight hours and then drove home. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Great trip. Sounds like an incredible, uh, incredible experience that second year for you. That was that was awesome. Um, rough, rough, really rough. They put you some really big challenges in there. Um, yeah. All right, so here's a question I've got for you. You yeah. know, you, you've done tons of athletic things and everything, but I believe, and this is what my book's a lot about, is about courage to start things, right? So where did your courage come from to start this death race experience? To start it or to go back? To go back, let's let's to go back. Where did your courage come from to go back? Ego and rage, probably would be yeah. a, a good combination of like my ego telling me like they couldn't stop me and you cannot stop me, and then a lot of rage. Like I think I think anger can be a really great source of like fuel and and drive if channeled in the appropriate manner. Um, and I had a lot of anger that I yeah. held on that whole year. It was my fire for the year. Do you think you've like kind of let go of that all now? Is the anger gone? Is it dissipated? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I finished. I was like, yeah. oh, and everyone's everyone's always like, hey, you gonna do death race this year? And I'm like, 
no. Like, I'm never going to do it again. Yeah, mission accomplished. Like, yeah, I, I didn't do it because it was fun. It actually was really fun. I, I actually, <laughs> when people make fun of Death Race, I actually say, like, it's actually a really cool event. It's not a race. It's just it's definitely not. not a race. It's but not. it is a really cool event. And you find out a lot about yourself. Because I believed that I was like this unstoppable force, right? That like nobody, that like I would, I could never, I would never give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know, you know, I knew it about myself afterwards. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's like it, t- it takes, it's transformational. It teaches you a lot about yourself. It's a lot of self-discovery out there. I mean, that many hours of just exertion, exertion, exertion. You really learn who you are, who your demons are, where they are, how to overcome them. You just learn so much. So, like, I guess with that, you know, what wisdom did you gain from the death race? Man, um, I think one thing is uh, staying positive is Mm -hmm. essential because the people that let their frustration dampen their mood they they ended up not making it it's the people right. that like we we laughed through all of it we kind of were like this is all stupid and ridiculous and like we're just gonna do it like whatever they say like it doesn't matter we're just gonna do it and we're gonna giggle the whole time yeah. like i i laughed throughout there are just pictures of me smiling throughout that race and listen don't get me wrong like i said i was fueled by rage that was the the back end stuff right like the, mm-hmm. the like anytime you you have any moments of doubt you're like don't forget like like screw joe like that <laughs> that was a big part of it but um but no staying positive and staying happy is like so critical to being able to get through like your your bad your dark times your bad moments yeah absolutely the power of the smile if you can force a smile you can completely change your brain chemistry and make yourself think that whatever it is you're doing is not so bad so real it's very real um, we kind of didn't really touch on this. So I want to ask, like, what, what were you fueling yourself with besides rage, like actually food and, and <laughs> stuff like what, what were you fueling yourself with? <laughs> oh, just only rage. Uh, no, I, uh, I, uh, David Mikita, powered by rage. <laughs> I have a lot of trail mix. Um, I took a lot of trail mix. Uh, I was eating a lot of like energy bars and things like that. And um, I eat a lot of beef jerky when I'm doing these things. So I probably eat like a, I probably ate like close to a pound of beef jerky each day. Um, so yeah. that was your favorite, like your favorite source of fuel. Yeah. And then what I, what I believed was like, so I needed like healthier, like energy bars. I, I ate like these things that they, I don't know if they make them anymore. They were called the best bar ever. Mm-hmm. And they they have to be refrigerated, but they can be non-refrigerated for a week. So I, I take those with me and they're like really nutritious. It's only like six ingredients, very like healthy. Nice. And, um, so I was eating a few of those every day. Mm-hmm. And then also I'm a believer in, you, you also need to reward yourself. So mm-hmm. I had two Snickers bars each day that I would give myself. Yeah. So when I was like feeling kind of down or like, I was like, this sucks or whatever, I'd be like, yo, if you finish this task, you get to eat a Snickers bar. So I would reward myself with Snickers bars. And uh, the first year when we had base camp, I, I had a six pack of Coca-Colas. So if I like ever like was re- needing like a, like a bump, I mm-hmm. would, I'd crush a Coca-Cola. I also, you know, ate like a lot of, I had bananas and stuff at base camp and watermelon and things like that. But, um, the second year we didn't get to go to base camp. There was no base camp. So, um, that year it was just like a lot more, just like water and, um, all, most of your food, you got separated from your food for like, you know, uh, 20 hours right out of the gates. Like when they took your shoes, they took your pack as well. So, I managed to stuff like a few bars and things in my bag. I remember we were all starving in that that uh, that go round. And every time someone would drop out, you'd be like, "Yo, yo, 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 can I get your food?" And then <laughs> whatever someone had, like fruit snacks or whatever it was, like you you uh, an energy gel, anything you mm-hmm. you try and get from them. It was like almost like. Uh, you know, like looting, like, uh, like a dead soldier's body. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was very intense. Um, and you just try and get whatever scraps you could because we were, we were without food for like almost a whole day. And, uh, I think I, you know, that, that was one of the worst things. I think I had like two bags of peanuts or something that whole time. And, um, that was one of the things is your energy's low. And now you're trying to play catch up on your nutrition because you're so depleted. Um, that's tough to do. 
that was hard. So that that was one of the tougher things. So like I said, like the second year was less physical and more like they just found ways to try and like mentally challenge you and and like torture you a little bit. So like they they deprived you of food. They deprived mm-hmm. you of shoes, which your feet hurt all the time. You got really, really cold on that hike because you were hiking in like literally like shorts and like no shirt. Okay. Um, and you had a life jacket. Born, right? <laughs> yeah. So they gave you a life jacket to go in the water. And then you had to keep that little life jacket, but that was all you were allowed to wear. Uh, and so you were really cold. Um, and through the whole night, we were, re- I mean, Vermont, summer nights are cold. They're cold. Uh, you know, like 40 degrees. And you're in like basically like a, a sleeveless, bellyless, like top. <laughs> so you're, you're freezing. Um, so they tried to freeze us out. They tried to freeze us out. They tried to uh, puke us out of this race. They tried to uh, outsmart us, like make it so we couldn't pass this this school. They tried to freeze us out a second time with the the carries, the time trials, and then they tried to freeze us out again with all the burpees in the in the water. And most of this race was just about like, can I endure being cold? Can I endure being exhausted? Can I endure being really hungry? Like, and can I endure my feet hurting? Like it was such a different experience in the first year. And it's like, man, the first year I was much better suited, all the physical stuff. Like that was much better for me. This one was just pure, like I said, like, just like spite. Yeah. A little mental grit. So that smiling, that laughing, that was like the big number one key takeaway was that as long as you kept that going, you were able to get through it all. Critical Yeah, critical. Critical. So um, I always like to ask this question at the end of these podcasts. Um, you know, do you do do you read any books that uh, you think would be good for others to pick up and read to get themselves in the right headspace or to uh, you know prepare themselves for something like the death race? Man, I've got a I've got a few. Um, one I read recently that was really good is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Yeah, that one's pretty awesome because, you know, you get a lot of his mindset. You're pretty hyped up by the end of it. Um, and I would say to add to that, there's a book by Jesse Eisner called Living with a Seal. That okay. It's a very fun read. You'll probably read it in three days. It's really okay, cool. fun. It's short. And uh, but uh, he has a Navy SEAL come stay with him and uh, and train him for basically you know, I can't remember how many weeks, six weeks, something like that. And it, and I'm like the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, this sounds like David Goggins. And then yeah. it, it was, uh, huh. sorry guys for the reveal, but it doesn't ruin the book. Um, <laughs> but, um, th- that's great read. Um, a couple other ones I really like that will help, uh, for this. Uh, there's a book by Eric Greitens called resilience. I don't agree with Greitens politics, but he is a really tough guy. Navy seal also, um, Ox- Oxford grad, really brilliant. Um, and, uh, he wrote this book as a, a series of letters to a friend of his, who he served with, who was struggling with like addiction and, and, uh, PTSD and all these other things to try and keep him going. And it's, it's got some really good inspirational stuff in there. Um, and I, I came to win by Chris McCormick is one more. Um, okay. that's definitely more into my, the racing side, but, uh, it's a lot about like the mental games you play with yourself and with others to ensure that you can defeat them and that you will, you'll come out on top. It's pretty neat. Awesome. These sound like great books to dive into. We've heard about can't hurt me quite a few times, but some of these other ones we haven't. So I'll add that to the show notes. Um, you know, thanks for coming on the show, David. Um, if you want right now is a great chance for you to share some of the places that people can follow you on, you know, your social media, check out your gym, etc. And I can put all that in the show notes for them. Yeah. Uh, let's, so go let's, ahead. Let's talk about this. Yeah, you can. Uh, well, one, you know, all the old episodes of Spartan Race uh, on ESPN and, and NBC Sports. I used to host those. And uh, yeah. hopefully we can get that going again. Um, uh, also, my book, The Essentials of Obstacle Race Training. It's a beginner's guide and you can get it anywhere. Amazon, uh, through the publisher, Human Kinetics, Books a Million. Um, also, Elevate. Like If you are in the D.C. area and you want to train for an obstacle race, um, a running race, a triathlon, whatever, come to Elevate. You can visit train at elevate.com. Get your first workout free. Two weeks is a trial for just 39 bucks. It's a great opportunity to come and work on your endurance, your strength, your mobility, everything. We've got a really great range of programs there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big project right now. Maybe I'll get into some racing too. You might see me out there on a couple of events. I'm, I'm supposed to be helping Spartan with some coverage of some of the national series this year. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, 
listeners, that's where you can check out David and uh, all of the awesome things that he's up to in the obstacle racing world. Thank you again for coming on the show. It's been a great pleasure talking to you, catching up with you. It's It's been a while, and uh, I'm super stoked that we got to have you here. And stay tuned for more legends from past Death Racers. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. This really helps the podcast move up the rankings so we can reach even more humans. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you find you really enjoy what we're doing, consider becoming a sustaining member by clicking the link in the show notes. Just a quick reminder, my legend, The Legend of the Death Race book, is now available. Visit legendofthedeathrace.com book to order your copy today. Thank you again for tuning in. If you'd like to stay up to date on my current adventures and training, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Just search the handle at ThatEnduranceGuy or visit ThatEnduranceGuy.com. We'll see you next time on the Legend of the Death Race podcast. Now go create your own legend.